it's insane. It's an it's, and this is like, you know, someone who has access to the world's, you know, treasure supply basically, and gets to do whatever mm-hmm. he wants mm-hmm. because of his, you know, his status and his right where yes. what he was born into. Yeah, and he wants to build. I mean, just like there, there are too many. There are too many conceptual flaws to even really get into, to even start to address it. Uh-huh. But the thing that frustrates me about both of these, about Mohammed bin Salman and Andrew Yang, who, yeah. again, let me say, like, opposite sides of the, like, not opposite sides of the spectrum, but, like, Mohammed bin Salman yeah. is responsible for much more damage to the world than Andrew Yang. Like, let's, right. you know. Um, but... They both understand that the world should be different, that mm-hmm. we have to address like large systemic issues as we go into the future. And they both have a, a platform and the means to address these. And they end up doing the most stupid goddamn bullshit imaginable. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Any old business? Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Skipping ahead. All right. Uh, I will do the intro. Welcome to the Hegelian fr- No, that's not good. That was Terrible. Not good. Oh All right, you're God. in charge now. You got to do it. Welcome. <laughs> no, I don't like that either. Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the Ooh. only podcast out there where we read Wikipedia articles and make sense of our world one mm-hmm. article at a time. That's right. The, I'm today, as always. I am joined by my co-host John Miklas. Mm, well, thank you, and uh, I am joined by my co-host Alex Virgil. That's me. All righty, and well, and we're welcome, off to a guys. pleasant start. <laughs> that was whimsical. Um, that was that was nice. Was uh, well, hey guys, welcome. Um, as Virgil said, you're listening to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. Uh, if this is your first time listening. Uh, we don't always sound that whimsical, so you're in for a real treat today. We got Woo-hoo! some pleasant energy, calming forces here. Yes. Um, and if it's not your first time listening, well, welcome back, motherfucker. Uh, hey, get piece in of for shit. A piece of shit. <laughs> um, you're in for a bumpy ride. Uh, <laughs> We're going to be pleasant, bitch. Uh, we are a Wikipedia-focused uh, podcast and we are also on all the major forms of social media twitter instagram um we also have a gmail account if you want to get a hold of us hegelian friendship simulator at gmail.com please reach out tell us how much you love the show um send us some ideas we probably won't ever use them but maybe we'll um We'll, we'll start there, you. and we'll get far enough away from it where we don't have to give you credit. We might do that. Uh, yep. That would be cool. Um, but yeah, Virg, do you have any old business you want to talk about? 
No, I don't have any. I don't have any new revelations on the uh, Burkina Faso political situation from the seventies on. I did have like a nice little. I was just laying in bed thinking about like how funny it would be if Blaise Campaore came out of twenty twenty, uh, trying to do music again <laughs> as a solo act, just like coming out of exile with like an album, with a new album. Just a lounge, with like a, a lounge album. He's yeah, like, with like a t- tiny desk concert. I've always hated the the jazz element. I just want to sing, you know. Yeah, I just want to sing some power pop. Comes on um, YouTube with like a Kendrick Lamar cover. <laughs> it's just like him and some like young LA dudes. Um. Yeah, I don't have much else to say. Um, Thomas Sankara is still my boy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought our, our conversation was really interesting last week. Um, definitely had more time to think about the storming of the Capitol. Right. And to be honest, I, I haven't made much more sense of it all. I don't think anybody has. No, it's Um, the thing. Chris Hayes put out a good tweet today that was about like how it always feels like the pressure is about to it's all about to pop off but it keeps not and it feels like it's just going to continue muddying on yeah 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 where it it's yeah I mean it's just it's pressure right like pressure eventually releases yeah but 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 when and how it's not yeah it doesn't seemingly well, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of a cultural climate that is so um, fast-moving mm-hmm. with a political system that has basically grinded to a halt. Like, we, right. the gears of our democracy, like, I guess they're meant to move pretty slowly, but at the same time, the, like, the partisanship... Mm-hmm. has created like a system that benefits you politically when you stand still um you know you get much more criticism and potential to lose your job if you do something and it's not effective right, right. um and so and so like you know the republicans for example have realized that they can play keep away forever and it benefits them politically because ex- expectation is on Democrats yeah. to like enact change. And so if you can pre- prevent that, it's much easier to prevent someone from enacting the change. But but at the same time, we're dealing with a 24-hour news climate that is is relentless and it's getting and we've figured out more mechanisms to do that. Not only do we have like the 24-hour news cycle on cable television, but now we have fucking Twitter. You know, we have this, like, thing that updates every, like, literally every second with a new piece of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're non-compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a pretty good end to that. Um, we are at, yeah. we're at Ethnic Enclave of the Week. Ethnic Enclave of the Week. Uh, what do you got for us this week, John? You know, Virgil, I have a pretty interesting one. 
If you had to guess, in the Middle East, if there were any famous ethnic enclaves, what would you say your kind of guess would be? The Lebanese in Kentucky. Okay, fair enough. So I found an ethnic enclave in the Middle East, but that is cool too. Oh, in the Middle East. Okay, okay. No, it's okay. All right, uh, I'm just gonna go for it because the guessing uh, doesn't is not not great. Um, yeah, it's not your fault. Yeah, I didn't do. No, good it's okay. Guessing. It's not your fault. Um, Thank you. All right, so in Muscat, Oman, uh, mm. which is mm-hmm. Oman, is a nation in the southern southeast portion of the Arabian yep. Peninsula. Um, it's mm. a kingdom. Uh, Arab, Arabic people, um, kind of a sultanate, uh, very, very wealthy with oil reserves, but also uh, being on the coast in the southeast portion of the peninsula, like long history of crossroads of peoples and trading and merchant. Um, So the Al-Lawatiya are an ethno-cultural group primarily based in the province of Muscat. Lawatis mm. are a prominent Kabila. I don't know what a Kabila is. Many Lawati families of successful merchants of the past are now involved in large multifaceted corporations participating in the development of the region. So mm. there is a a walled neighborhood in the city of Muscat, Oman, mm. filled with a group of people that everyone kind of suspects came from Pakistan or Western India, um, settled there uh-huh. and set up a completely closed off community where only members, only Lawatis could come come oh, into cool. their neighborhood for hundreds wow. of years and then developed this whole yeah. culture. Um, so... The Lawatia um, community in Mutra in Muscat are of Sindhi, modern-day Pakistan and India origin. Lawatis are traders and merchants mm-hmm. by profession, and they traveled the world for trade and ultimately settled in some of the countries to oversee their business. Uh, they are Shia, um, but they are a completely distinct group from the Arabic um, people of Oman. And they've... Um, they've kind of played a role in Oman for like centuries. Uh, and I thought hmm. that the Wikipedia article was particularly interesting because the part about their neighborhood was clearly pulled straight from the culture trip.com and, <laughs> and put on. But uh, it says Sur al Lawatia, located at the heart of one of Oman's major tourist hubs is instantly recognizable by its palatial mansions and gate. For decades, this scenic quarter was closed to all but members and guests of the tribe who lived there, though the reason for the seclusions were never made official. Today, today it is no longer closed off to visitors, but the isolated walled district continues to fascinate travelers, looking to gain a glimpse into the lives of its residents. Um, and I did see one of the things that said people speculate that one of the reasons um like non-residents couldn't enter this community was because 
they mm-hmm. let the females in the community be unveiled, which was against the law in Oman. Oh, that's a good way mm-hmm. to keep people out. Um, let's see. And how big is it? What's the population of this place? Like how, how large is this community? So that's a good question. Um, population of Sur al-Lawati. It's unclear, but I do think that it's interesting that I feel like this community, there's very little English, um, like, about this community. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understandably. Oh, okay. Here we go. There are between five to 10,000 Lawatis living in Oman. Oh, okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, sizable community. Yeah, they're they seem they seem kind of cool, um, and I like it because it seems like a storyline um, from like a science fiction or fantasy novel about a group of people mm-hmm. living in a like if you were to create a fake culture, a walled community of the merchant class is like. Definitely something that would spring to mind. Yeah, be like, or their culture mm-hmm. laws are different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that. Uh, but we will we'll like we'll research about the Lebanese in Kentucky um, for next week. <laughs> yeah, I only brought that up because there was some kid I knew who was from Kentucky, whose family was Lebanese. His family is Lebanese. So I thought, what are the odds? There, are, there yeah. are weird. Um, not weird, but. There are a lot of communities of um, people from, like, both the Levant and and from the Arab Peninsula, uh-huh. who are immigrants in the United States. Like, like the Arab Christian community is one of like the most virulently Republican and conservative communities in the United States, uh, which I always found hilarious. Mm-hmm. That they've just like, like completely um, shedded the people of color kind of like moniker and it's just like nope right we're conservative white people yeah christian christian communities that are not like your classic western european like some branch of protestant kind of thing or catholic they they always have very like what seems to be paradoxical beliefs oh totally belief systems within their communities which I heard there was a huge, um, like, Vietnamese contingent of the um, hmm. storming of the Capitol uh, group. Yeah, oh, really? It, like, that, there's, like, a huge MAGA contingent of, like, a lot of the East Asian communities, but Vietnamese in particular. Mm-hmm. Man, that kind of doesn't surprise me. Like, reckoning with my own families. Right like relationship with the military u.s militarism in general it's just like there's definitely eastern southeast asian and you know vietnam being a very obvious well you gotta think too i mean it's similar to like the cuban community where it's like think about the the vietnamese american community they had a reason to emigrate and it was because they were personally 
not benefiting from the communist regime, Mm -hmm. which is not to say Mm -hmm. that in Cuba and Vietnam, there are not currently a lot of people who are benefiting. Like, I think that that's the part that we forget in the United States when we talk about these like immigrant communities. We're like, well, listen to what happened to all of these Cuban Americans. And, And that's true. Like, it doesn't take away from their pain, but like, there are plenty of people who stayed back who are reaping all of the mm-hmm. benefits of these, you know, of these governments. Right. But the ones in America are here for a reason. Like they left for a reason. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, I can understand if like Vietnamese Americans have a much lower rate of being socialist. Yeah. Oh, of course. Leftists. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and sure, like their experiences are valid. But they're also not yeah. like when when we hear, especially like, I mean, I think we hear it about Venezuelan and Cubans the most like immigrants be like, mm-hmm. well, listen to me, I experienced socialism. And again, yes, you mm-hmm. did. For, but you also experienced it yes. in countries that were faced with more sanctions than basically everywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. So like a mm-hmm. lot of these factors are not just the form of government. But also, like, mm-hmm. why did your grandpa have a bad time with Q- Cuban <laughs> yeah. communism? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Was it like, because he owned a plantation? Like, did your grandpa's coffee plantation mm-hmm. get stolen from him? Was it because he, like, effectively participated in modern chattel slavery? Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Is it, but yep. that's all, you know water under the bridge right yeah but that's that's the interesting that's the continuing like interesting wrinkles in america the american immigration story right well and it goes back to what we discussed a little bit last time about like what makes what makes a what defines goodness or 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 Mm. benevolence or like how does one describe Mm -hmm. something as good or bad And it's like the reality is that like everything has caused suffering. Like every single idea, system, belief, they all, they're all toxic in their own ways, no matter like the benevolence or the level of good. And so to Mm -hmm. be, to, to, distinguish yourself by saying well che guevara was a killer or um you know whoever was a killer they were a bad person look at all the bad that they did well you you can you can go in circles i mean you can do that forever for everyone and you and you'll yeah whoever came before the bad person was bad in the opposite way or in a different way or in the same way and then they usurped someone who was also bad in their own ways. Yeah, it's constant. It's constant and forever, and it won't mm-hmm. ever change. I mean, we can't. We'll never. We are incapable of freeing ourselves from human suffering, because even in even in the mm-hmm. modern world where we're free from, um, you know, the want of hunger or thirst or um, shelter or whatever, we find different ways to suffer i mean uh go listen to our episode about melancholy 
we'll always find a way to 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 figure mm-hmm. out why life sucks. We always will. And whether it's more explicit mm-hmm. or implicit, it's inevitable. So don't try. That's the that's really the the core of it, listener. Don't, don't try. try. Life, life sucks. Life, life sucks. Suffering. Don't try. No, do try. Um, do try. Virgil, what? Uh, who who is first in it? The follow up to an episode <laughs> where we both had the same um, topic. Oh yeah, that's a good question. Well, you were slated. Yeah. Going. First. So is it you now? That would technically make me go first two and a half times out of the last three times. <laughs> that is a good point. I'll go first. I can go first. Yeah, go first. Mine's so chill. Mine's just a good way to like, yeah, close it out. Cat. Close it. Close um, it out. Yeah. Um, all right. Are you ready for my article? Okay. Hey. Yeah, man. Teach me something. All right, dude. Uh, I have been excited about this article for months. It was one of the very first articles that I found. And was oh, like, wow. I'm absolutely going to do this. Um, and the reason that I'm doing it now is because this is being released on Monday the 18th. And on um, Wednesday the 20th, we will have a new president inaugurated. Uh, and <laughs> without further, 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 without further ado, I present <laughs> Joe Biden, parentheses, The Onion. The article. Uh, so, as m- I think you and many of our listeners probably know, uh, for the past like decade or so, the satirical fake newspaper, The Onion, has been crafting a truly incredible fictional character uh, who has the same name <laughs> as the American politician. So, he has a surprisingly... Uh, long Wikipedia article. Uh, it is, um, let's see, probably 20 sections long. I mean, it is almost Ooh. as long as the um, as the Joe Biden, uh, the regular person article. Yeah, <laughs> actual page. Um, and so I'll just read the, the first paragraph to kind of get us, get us going. But um, Joe Biden also known as Diamond Joe or Uncle Joe, was a recurring fictionalized characterization of the American politician of the same name in The Onion, a satirical newspaper that publishes humorous parodies of current events. Between 2009 and 2019, The Onion staff consistently portrayed Biden as an outrageous character who shared almost nothing in common with his namesake besides the title of Vice President of the U.S. Instead, The publication portrayed Biden as a blue-collar average Joe, an affable, goofy uncle, a muscle car driver, an avid fan of 1980s hair metal, a raucous party animal, a shameless womanizer, a recidivist, a recidivistic, petty criminal, and a drug-dealing outlaw. The Biden character became one of The Onion's most popular features during the Obama presidency, Garnering critical acclaim and a large readership. I love it so much. I, and I love it so much because I can see his f- smiling face with every description. And uh, it's like, so, yeah. so you're, yeah, I mean, you're very familiar with this, correct? All right. And, yes. and I think that that is something fun that we haven't super 
um, kind of explored or examined on the show. Um, but one of the joys of Wikipedia to me is reading something that you're like intimately familiar with and like Mm -hmm. kind of seeing what its portrayal is when you actually like read about it. And there's no more Mm -hmm. low stakes and fun thing um, than like something like an onion character Um, and reading like the, the kind of extended encyclopedic definition of it all um but this one especially for most of the time that it was like thinking back to most of the time it was happening so yeah and that is actually when like when like the existence of joe biden was not like possibly the crux of the future of democracy you know what i mean (laughs) so that's another thing is that um this has actually gotten to be a little bit controversial um and the editors of the onion have actually disavowed this character. Um, and they still admit that it was funny, but have kind of a a perspective that they don't, they feel some level of responsibility to having completely Uh exonerated the image of a pretty complicated guy. Um, and, and I will admit, I think that, Mm. that even Mm -hmm. me personally, when I think of Joe Biden, even now that he's about to Mm -hmm. be inaugurated as president of the United States, I have a hard time disassociating and separating him from the onion character that was created. Right. Because they did such a good job of creating this like, which was, which was like outside of the onion. And the thing too is like. Yeah, it, like, extended past the onion. Like, the country saw him as this guy. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it is... Um, so, so this is interesting. This is the third paragraph on the Wiki article. It says, Despite the extreme differences between the fictional character and the real politician, the onion was regarded as having a significant, mostly positive influence on Biden's public mm-hmm. image commentators noticed that the character likely reinforced public perceptions of biden as a a political figure with populist working class appeal and good-natured easygoing disposition the real biden made several public comments noting his enjoyment of his characterization in the onion um and mitch mcconnell referenced the character on the senate floor um and early reception was generally enthusiastic uh but as the 2020 primary got underway, the onion attracted criticism for the character's detachment from reality and its distraction from the real Biden. Because the thing is, and I mean, yeah. I've been thinking about Biden a lot, and even especially after we had our conversation last week, um, where we were kind of discussing, mm-hmm. like, how do you measure a man or how do you measure a person? Mm-hmm. Because Biden, to me, is a great example of someone who is like either morally neutral or morally good even who has mm-hmm. done more bad than good cumulatively with their right. life like he I don't think he's a bad man I don't think that he is like a bad no. man in the way that Trump is bad in his his 
his character is bad. Like his decisions are mm-hmm. made from an unethical or un like from an immoral um, drive. And at least Biden's mm-hmm. public figure, I don't perceive that to be the case. Like I think that he believes in no. the things that he does, but I think them to have mostly yeah. been done the consequences of his decisions have been mostly bad for the world at large. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so this is a really interesting and kind of a complicated conversation um, about what I think is one of like the peaks of satire in the 21st century um, is also mm-hmm. the, the consequences or the ramifications of it are more long lasting than than we would have given credit for. I mean, the man is president. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think in 2008, even after being, or, you know, 2016, even after mm-hmm. being, uh, the vice president, I don't think that he would have so easily been considered a future president if it weren't for this onion characterization. I definitely agree with that. And I I actually don't I genuinely yeah, I guess you know, the onions characterization of him did a good job of depicting what I think pushed him over the edge, which is that he's the safest he's a safe pick for America. For middle right. America. Right. He's, he's you know, by which I mean and like he's, the middle fifty yeah, percent. He's easygoing and he's um Not like yeah he's fun he's like you i mean it it definitely humanizes him think about like think about this and i think that's what they played at yeah like if you i would say think about the way that they characterize him if they think about the way that they probably characterize hillary clinton in any of like the personifications Mm -hmm. that she has in the onion and and mind you the two Mm -hmm. do have different public facing personas but like this mm-hmm. satire at large reinforces some of the perceptions and you can no longer separate the person from the satire. I think that's like the classic issue with the onion in the US in general, right? Is like their brand of it is so pitch perfect that there are large amounts of Americans who like can't separate it. Yeah, you well, know, and... It's like the classic, like, your aunt on Facebook sharing the onion thinking it's a real There is thing, that, you know? which is fascinating in its own, right? Like, just, like, the the lack of... Right. But, I mean, even, even the more subtle elements of it, the more kind of pernicious... You know, I, I would say in myself, like, I have trouble... Like, I know the difference between reality and satire... But when mm-hmm. satire is well done, it is really impossible to escape um, its mirror to reality. And and mm-hmm. this is an interesting mm-hmm. case because often this will completely ruin, um, especially a politician. Uh, so like like for mm-hmm. example. I think SNL's like kind of considered the most 
biting political like career ruining satire uh, that they ever did was in the late 80s um when mm. george bush was president and was running for re-election mm-hmm. um and they per- they uh they portrayed dan quayle bush's running mate mm-hmm. as a literal child so it's dana carvey who's george <laughs> bush and he has dan quayle who is like a 13 year old come sit on his lap while he's giving mm-hmm. a speech and like uh-huh. i mean dan quayle was a pretty you know like low wattage politician to begin with but like that kind of satire mm-hmm. you can't escape that i mean if you're if if the perception is like people look at you and they're like oh no you're a fucking little baby you know you you can't you can't you can't outrun that and yet with this mm-hmm. it actually had the opposite effect by humanizing someone who should have had to kind of um had to had to atone for their past decisions it it gave him cover you know mm-hmm. um but with that in mind uh i say we talk about um the the background because there's a whole like history of this character which is super fun so even it says even after biden was selected as obama's running mate he was only occasionally mentioned in the onion but Knacker said that the candidate's public appearances mm-hmm. as Obama's running mate, especially in Knacker, Knacker was the editor at The Onion who uh, wrote the first Biden article. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. Knacker said that the candidate's public appearances as Obama's running mate, especially in Knacker's words, the shit-eating grin he had at those appearances, began to provide a spark <laughs> of inspiration, inspiration for the character. Knackers felt that Biden's easygoing persona struck a dramatic contrast with the more intense, sinister demeanor of then-Vice President Dick Cheney. Asked about the genesis of the character, The Onion's founding editor, Scott Dickers, said that Biden had his the, this great, inappropriate, older buddy, wild child kind of vibe. And Knackers also drew inspiration from his own strong connection to blue-collar <laughs> life and upbringing in Appleton, Wisconsin. When writing Biden articles, Knackers would play music by bands like Motley Crue and White Lion, to evoke memories and details that could inform the character, a technique the Washington Post compared to method acting. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first appearance of the Biden character coincided with the first inauguration of Barack Obama uh, on January 20th, 2009, when the, Bi- the Onion ran the headline, Joe Biden shows up to inauguration with ponytail. <laughs> Um, God, I remember. And then the full-fledged character debuted on May 5th, 2009 in the article, Shirtless Biden Washes Trans Am in the White House Driveway. I remember that. I remember that one. Um, and they, they said that, that Biden was written in one of two molds, boozy and brash or slick and oversexed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2013, the direction of the character took a turn in articles that depicted him as a criminal and gang member. <laughs> This arc deepened the following year as Biden became a drug dealer and user, particularly of cannabis. The character has an intense bromance with Obama, although it is not necessarily reciprocated. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best part about it. So, and then they, this article is actually phenomenal um, because 
they they have compiled every single Biden article. Uh, like I am not kidding when I say that this article is like like oh wow um you know one of the longest Wikipedia articles that I've presented on um yeah and there are they have seventy six different articles with the the um the the headline and a hyperlink to the actual article I mean it's inc- incredible someone spent an incredible amount of time to to highlight and document all of this on Wikipedia yeah seriously um, I'll I'll pick out some of my favorite uh my favorite headlines here um uh, Biden invokes Freedom of Information Act to find out when woman gets off work <laughs> <laughs> Biden criticized for appearing in Hennessy ads. I love Biden's eBay feedback rating just below thirty-five <laughs> percent. Biden implores Obama uh, to rub one out before debate. Security removes Biden's rowdy buddies from auditorium. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> panicked, uh, panicked Biden interrupts State of the Union to ask if erections can ever be emergency. <laughs> Biden scores 800 oh feet of copper wire. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, that's that's the other thing is that there's all these like little like this character is. I mean, this is like it, it reminds me of like um, canon for comic book characters. In that, like, the, right. like, there are these story arcs that develop out of this stuff. You know, one of my my actual, mm-hmm. you know, I think the the Diamond Joe stuff is incredible and true satire. Yeah. But my absolute favorite, the Onion satire story arc, is the Trump Boys, um, which <laughs> is like the the depiction of um, of Trump's sons, of Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, and like just like mm-hmm. doing like. Um, Eric Trump tapes karaoke machine to Don Jr.'s chest as part of final preparation preparations to spy on China. Uh, let's see. Trump boys leave five dollar bill candy bar under propped up laundry basket in effort to catch op-ed writer. I do really like SNL's SNL's um, Don Jr. and Eric. It is. It is actually a, yeah a true bright spot of their political satire of like the Trump era. Uh, because I would say I think that the Alec Baldwin Trump, Alec Baldwin Trump was one of the worst pieces of satire that, yeah. like, SNL really got they 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 found themselves in a place where they couldn't escape the gravity of the time, and mm-hmm. I feel like they had they were just like so overwhelmed with like the amount of material. Yeah. That they tried to do it all at once, and it just became this like awful, re- like liberal resistance Twitter, you mm-hmm. know, kofefe mm-hmm. jokes, and like and it's small like, hand and it's the jokes. kind of jokes. It's like the jokes that you would expect from Twitter, where it's like yeah. all the same jokes and uh, all that. It was like once every like four or five episodes where they'd actually have a good idea about how to do the cold open. And I'm I'm. I think you are too, like pretty stark um, SNL like defenders of the idea that like 
it's always the same quality from like season one to now. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. been the same quality. The perception yeah. that it's somehow lost a step is like your own, your own right. kind of um, nostalgia manipulation. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I do think that the Trump era destroyed SNL. And I hope that it bounces mm. back, like in less of a kind of like, I don't know, absurd time, although who knows what that means. Um, but it's just, it's stale. And it's, and it's not because yeah. it used to be better. It's because it's gotten worse. You know, mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I just, I don't, that I, especially the, the, baldwin trump stuff when they started bringing in famous people to play the political you know like the do the impressions for politicians it really lost a step i think yeah i mean it became it kind of just became like it it felt like it was just uh going through the motions you know like mikey day's like mikey day's super random evergreen wholesome stuff is like the funniest stuff to come out of the last couple years yeah or or because it's just like it's actually funny and not like we need to do a sketch about this or um to do a sketch about this fuck who's my boy um oh uh kyle mooney's your boy yeah yeah any of mooney's stuff like that stuff is fresh like that's the reason that you watch snl is because it's like the height of people who do sketch comedy doing sketch comedy Mm -hmm. because the realization for sketch comedy is that you know at best the very pinnacle of sketch comedy one out of every five sketches is good um yeah and when you allow people to actually do it 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 works but when it's alec baldwin fucking pouting around it's it's not even a good impression i mean there are it's not it's it and and then the audacity of him to hold a you're welcome uh uh sign after biden one it was like go fuck yourself the only person who potentially matches the unrestrained narcissism of donald trump in modern america is alec baldwin it's like they're almost meant for each other the fact it, it's like almost like Chevy Chase in in Community, where he he didn't understand that a lot of the humor was a joke on him as well. That's Alec Baldwin right. playing Trump. It's like, no, dude, you're also a joke. This is also a joke about you and like your absolute fucking unrestrained narcissism. <laughs> but it's not though. That's the thing. That is the, the problem, problem is with SNL. That's the problem. The problem is that it's, is not. That it's not. I mean, it should be. That yeah. that is true. That's a good point. Is that if 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 yeah. they were writing the Trump character played by Alec Baldwin to also be making fun of Alec Baldwin, that is satire. Yeah. Not like the yeah. the reinterpretation of an absurd reality through like stage lights. Yeah, I think the Sarah Palin word for word speech by Tina Fey was like the the start of this. Where it's just like Palin, politics is so ridiculous, you just have to redo it on stage, and that's a good point because Tina Fey is talented enough and was looked enough like Sarah Palin that that joke was funny, mm-hmm. but it yeah mm-hmm. it like opened mm-hmm. up a Pandora's box of, um, mm-hmm. of just like yeah just really cheap 
non-humor masquerading as humor. Yeah. And this is also, I mean, like, this is also yeah. a show that was complicit. Just like The Onion's Joe Biden character is, like, complicit. Like, SNL is completely mm-hmm. complicit in normalizing Trump. The, they had him yep. on the show in the run-up to 2016. I mean, he was he was a fucking host mm-hmm. while he was saying that, like, Mexicans are rapists and and gangbangers like i think it's it's so much worse so much worse than the onion it is no it absolutely is and especially because donald trump is a worse person than joe biden like that that's exactly to come back to your original point yeah (laughs) like joe biden is 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 ultimately i think you can describe him as a man trying to do his best right in like not like a he's trying his best kind of way like he is a man that is constantly trying to do his best yeah I, and, and i think that is always actually part of the it's it, it's 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 the weird intersection of this mm-hmm. article and this um dilemma that we're talking about right. in that biden is a an imperfect man trying his best and so mm-hmm. when you dumb it down to like, oh, he's, you know, like took too many boner pills, like then it's funny. But when you're talking about an imperfect man <laughs> who's a senator who wrote mm-hmm. the 1994 crime bill, like, oh, then you have something much more complicated. Right. Um, and so actually this is right. this is a quote by um, Joe Garden, who was he was an Onion editor after and he was there for 19 years. He left in 2012. Um he said, mm-hmm. I don't believe the Onion's Biden is solely responsible for this early popularity of real-life Biden. We were just one small link in a chain of institutions that didn't scrutinize Biden closely enough. I wish we had looked more at his actual career in politics, which includes opposition to busing as a way to integrate schools and support for predatory financial institutions, and tried to really puncture him rather than just turning him into a clown. We helped mm-hmm. make him more likable by inventing a version of Biden that never existed. As a guideline, if the people you're satirizing aren't mad, then you should dig deeper. I hope that my alma mater and everyone else in comedy follows this rule now that Diamond Joe is back. Um, and it's interesting. So they they got rid of the old the, of the Diamond Joe character in, in March 2019. Um mm-hmm. Or well, okay. So no, in March 2019, they the character reemerged in a story titled "Biden Pulls Off Dusty Tarp Covering Old Campaign Motorcycle." <laughs> um, but it's abandoned the warm, fanciful characterization of Biden, and the subsequent satirical coverage of the candidate has become more critical and direct. Recent articles have tended to focus on real-world developments uh, and his frequent gaffes. Uh, so <laughs> these are the three examples they give of late 2019 Mm -hmm. um jill biden urges democratic voters to ignore which candidates are mentally sharp enough to finish complete sentences for good of party (laughs) (laughs) um and then (laughs) help help who am i where am i who are you people says biden an embarrassing campaign gaffe (laughs) and then biden (laughs) declares self only candidate who can defeat George Bush in 1988 election. <laughs> um, so, so they, I mean, 
too late to really like um as joe garden would say like puncture the right the steel of the you know of the candidate um but self self referential i guess in the in the understanding of of the importance of satire um right and i th- i do think that the onion as an institution is extremely more self referential um to the power of satire than like mm-hmm. snl is for example oh 100% 100% and i think it's a really important institution i mean i think that um the onion is a joke and it is funny when like uh you know old middle-aged lady suburban ladies on facebook like don't understand that it is Mm -hmm. satire Mm -hmm. but i also i also do think that like over the last 20 or so years the onion has allowed america to create a subversive a powerfully subversive side of like mm-hmm. our cultural spectacle, um, and it's it's definitely I think opened a lot of people's eyes to how frustratingly absurd the Onion is, you know, or how frustratingly mm-hmm. absurd American culture mm-hmm. is. Yeah, it's. I mean, the I think I right, think the, it's the, the, the it, main, it allows the, the people to that question it. It allows the people that are questioning it but afraid to, like, break out of it mentally, you know, just, like, the stream of, like, being American, you know, whatever that means, like, the 80s, like, fitting in kind of shit. It's like any questions you have about, like, the inner workings of this country, The Onion is going to actually bring to light in a way that yeah, a lot of satire in the U.S., like, still doesn't really, like, it doesn't... A lot of satire does not hit the edge it needs to to actually be satire in this country. Well, dude, I mean, another. Well, I think that the last. I guess SNL being the perfect example right now. SNL is a great example, but even, I mean, the last four years have been so eye-opening to me about like how unimpressive, or not unimpressive. That's not the right. How little the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. actually does to kind of threaten the status quo right. or or to push deeper on like the the machinations of mm-hmm. injustice in our society and 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 i think i will say that i think like the daily show in its prime with john stewart probably mm-hmm. was closer to it but even when you start to like re-examine the perspective that like if you were to go back and rewatch John Stewart Daily Show episodes, I uh-huh. think that they're lacking in a lot of the bite that is necessary to actually push forward and enact real change. Right, and I think I, I think part of that has to do with the fact that it's daily, right? Sure. Like they keep not fully like imagine if the Daily Show was weekly, the way John Oliver's is. Like, John Oliver's is weekly, so they actually have time to, like, dig into the stuff. But then you have John Oliver, who, as, like, edgy as he is, isn't, isn't, doesn't have the same ethos 
that like John Stewart's developed of like having homegrown Americans listen to him. You know. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, it it is It's interesting. I uh, it's true and and um I do like I like this line. This as a guideline, if the people you're satirizing aren't mad, then you should dig deeper. Um and it's mm-hmm. and it but it is complicated because like like Trump was mad about Alec Baldwin, but I don't think But that's like that's like you just, you would know that anyone doing it's just pure Trump. vanity. It's just anyone vanity. doing Trump on SNL would have made him mad. It, it, but it is interesting though, like whether there was a way to create the Diamond Joe character without innate making him innately likable, and whether that is a reflection of like Joe Biden just as a person being. I mean, he's a charming guy in an everyman kind of way. Yeah. Um, but his likability comes down to how much you romanticize, right? The things that he's doing in the articles, right? Because mm-hmm. to me, it's like, yeah, I th- no, I think it's funny, but like, it doesn't, and it it's never made me think of Joe Biden as like this better personality than he is, like, and maybe right. that's just because I'm like intimately familiar with the tone of the Onion, right? I, I do think they were knocking him. That's the thing. Like, the tone of those articles are never, like, you know, propping him up in any way. It's just the problem is that too many, too many people read that and, like, that that's, like, liking, likable. Right. Um, you know what I mean? I think it's a reflection of what we're talking about with populism, um, that Joe Biden's characterization benefited more from this like vulgar oversexed every man than who he actually is as a person you know like i don't right. know what that says about us collectively but it's definitely is i mean not. the thing is that's like that's like unironically the tactic of the republican party <laughs> with most of their nominations like like Reagan being a great example of like like that like American guy. Right. Like that's that's how Southern Democrats like got got Southern poor Southerners on their side. That's and that's how sure. like fucking they got Reagan got boomers. <laughs> it's like the idea of like that cool American white everyman. Yeah, I mean you could say it probably started with Kennedy, right? Before. Warren Harding, that's how Warren Harding got elected. Warren Harding is fucking but he just had the image of like a tall white no, wait, American wait. dude who seemed kind of like likable and Wait, Warren really? I have no I know nothing about Warren Harding. Dude, Warren Harding <laughs> sounds sick as fuck. All right. righty. Mine today in in light of everything that's happening, I went with just the most oppo vibes. Mami la pinap tapai. <laughs> did I say that right? Um, I don't. I don't think you did. Ma, but ma, let's hear. Mami la pinap tapai. Mami la. Ti- oh fuck! Hold on. 
Mamila pinatapay. Ma- is mamila one word? It's all one word because oh. it is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most succinct words word as the most succinct word and is considered one of the hardest words to translate and it is derived from okay. the yaghan language of tierra del fuego so the southern tip of south america um cool. mamila pina tapai is a word that allegedly refers to a look that without words is shared by two people who want to initiate something but neither start or looking at each other, hoping that either will offer to do something which both parties desire, but are unwilling to do. Whoa. Is what that word means, which is fucking awesome because it's like the Yaghan. We had this conversation. Yes. Last week, right? So that's kind of that's kind of why I like stopped on this when I was scrolling through. Is because it's, it led me to words and phrases with no direct English translation. But um, I wanted to start here because this is where I started. And I, I love this. I love this word. Yeah, it's a great word. Because the, the Yagan, also known as the Yamana, um, is one of the indigenous languages of Tierra del Fuego. Um so following the death of 84-year-old Emelinda Acuña in 2005, only one native speaker remains, Cristina Calderon wow. on Navarino Island, Chile. And she is uh, not young herself. Um, Calderon, often referred to as simply Abuela, is the sister-in-law of Acuña. So this is a language that only one person speaks, but developed enough at some point where they have a single word to mean that moment of like uh. um a romantic interpretation of the meaning also exists and this is a romantic interpretation that i actually don't agree is actually what this word means it is that well, look yeah, the the romantic interpretation is it is that look across the table when two people are sharing an unspoken but private moment when each other each knows the other understands and is in agreement with what is being expressed an expressive and meaningful silence which i think is an element of it but there's that nuance where it's like they both want to do something but neither start which i don't necessarily think is like a romantic thing it's just like a it's a very cool like social nuance well I will say when I when you first said it, I interpreted it as like the romantic part. Mm. Um, like when you gave the definition, I thought that it. But I am also not. I don't know. This makes me sound like a dork, <laughs> and I am, but bigger dork than I want to sound like. That I always interpreted that like look across the room like let's say at a bar when i was a single man Mm -hmm. as a fantasy in my head like i'm not entirely sure Mm. to i i don't interpret like like that actually because it's i was never one to act upon 
the idea of like looking at someone. So it, mm-hmm. it was always an un, it, a whether it was actually un whether the look was only coming from me. I won't ever know because I, you know, like I, I ideated that someone was locking eyes with mm-hmm. me, but I never acted on it mm-hmm. in, in my times as a single man. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, my immediate thought went to it being the romantic thing, mm-hmm. but you're saying you disagree with that interpretation. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the feeling behind it is not that. Which I I think it's like it's like if you were if two people were about to skydive or jump off of mm. a fucking rock and they're both about to and they both know that they're about to and they both understand that they agreed to do it together, but then it's like that anticipation and it's that feeling. Well, so shared, the, yeah, different. these are two different things, right? These are two, they're two very right. different things. Um, you're right. One is like the romantic interpretation feels more suited for the the language through eyes between strangers. Mm-hmm. Or, or not Well, it's like the connotation like, of us saying the words language, eyes, strangers. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the interpretation that you're getting at, which I like, is that like almost like when when you connect with someone on a consciousness mm-hmm. level beyond verbal language, mm-hmm. when you like can look at someone right. and feel what they mm-hmm, feel, mm-hmm. and 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 it it could be in social situations right. when like you are so close with someone. You could be in a social situation and you look at each other and you know what, like, you can communicate in in that look to each Mm -hmm. other, uh, which is a much more powerful and intimate thing than the, like, then looking across the room and, like, saying, I want to fuck you to someone else in the room, which is also a right. like like we said is like also I guess it's a different a anticipation thing. because Though, it's like it's like again the romantic anticipation was, I don't I don't know if you it's thought a it thing. was the one that was described is more like it's like the the will they won't they hope tension but with this word yeah with this word I think the joy that comes out of it is that 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 tension is released because you are so sure that the other person knows exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I, I love that, that I mean, second a, level. That's... Nuance to it. I think that's a beautiful word. And the, and it's yeah. so sad that like there was a culture that was so mm. not necessarily, mm-hmm. not necessarily complex, but like so enriched that they had a word for th- that feeling because i love that right. feeling right yeah um when when you and someone else it's like it's like i thought it might have been the check dance feeling like when you're just like oh who's gonna pay for it neither person like Ugh. you know neither person yeah and i thought it was that kind of tension but i think in that scenario this word would only apply if then there's like 
a shared understanding of the humor that we're both about to like if you and i did that yeah yeah and it's the moment we both go how are we euphoric yeah 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 it's the moment of like the two of us being like like recognizing that we're doing it with each other which is ridiculous which is only then does this word apply yeah 100 percent. i would agree i think um i i like I like the I, the interpretation of this word being something that is not Seinfeld episode, right? But like like a a a an interpretation of true human connection. Mm-hmm. It's it's um it's finding it's finding God, mm-hmm. you know, like and 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 that's I've always held on. I'm not always, but like very much held on to the belief that like human connection in the in like the the in the fabric of human connection is where you find god or like whatever god right. may be and it's like mm-hmm. these that look like that is like a a an affirmation of god's existence yeah right? yeah of like, exactly of like this like spiritual like the higher connection of like oh we are more than just uh aimless carbon creatures mm-hmm. ambling in the night like no we're we're we have the sentience and we have the ability yeah. to connect with someone on such a level that we can communicate with our eyes and that's and beautiful in, yeah in it. that yeah. moment we won the game like together we won the game in that moment mm-hmm. right that's i think that's amazing i love it and i think that's what like you know i kind of feel like that's what the word is getting at like the root um and I, that's what i want to believe to me that's like the most beautiful and i had gone into I other like i went to the list of words and phrases with no direct english translation i was going to go into some of the other stuff but i really like this one is just like the more i think about it the more it makes me smile um which i love there are some other ones that were fun. That was like finger spits in yeah. gefühl, which is a German term meaning fingertip feeling or transliterating to fingertip feeling, which basically just means like intuitive flair or instinct and shit. You know, there's like Japanese words, of course, motainai is a classic one, which means like something. It's like a regret over waste. Hmm. It's like, oh, that's what a bummer that we wasted that, you know? Oh, oh, were you asking can about... I, can I tell you one It was that you, I right, on, on this fucking podcast where you I, asked I about love. books being stacked? It was the conversation we had last week that you never... You stack books, but you never What's read up? them. The concept of, like, having a stack of books. No, that, like, well, it is... I love that, but there's another Japanese one that I just recently learned um, that I really love. Um, it's... Ichigo Ichi A. Do you know that one? Hmm. I don't know. Alright, so it it translates to one time, one meeting. Um, and it describes a cultural concept of treasuring the unrepeatable nature of a moment. Mm. And it's so yes. it's been translated as once in a lifetime or for this time time only. And it 
The term reminds people to cherish any gathering that they may take part in, citing the fact that any moment in life cannot be repeated. Even when in the same group of people get together in the same place again, that particular gathering will never be replicated. And thus, each moment is always once in a lifetime. And I love that. I was, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. The ephemerality. That's, um, that's so funny. I think I, I learned that phrase from uh, Forrest Gump. Because that is possibly like the Japanese title of Forrest Gump. But um, one cool concept that Ichigo Ichie is uh, a cool concept that I think you would have a, f- a fun time with is the Yojijukugo, which is like a poetic four-word Japanese idiom. So there's like a ton of these. Um, and they're all just like little like uh, proverbs, you know, basically. Um, like Jakuniku uh, Kyoshoku is a four word four letter idiom for um survival of the fittest basically um iseki nicho that's a great one iseki nicho means one stone two birds um junin toido to each their own like 10 people with 10 colors it's just great i think you'd like it if you just like look up that shit um i love it yeah I'm all about it. Yeah. I lost you there for a second um, because, uh, full disclosure, audience, we are dealing with some unstable internet tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's great. I think I think most of our it's good. No, it's okay. It's okay. I think okay. I wonder. I'm. I, I don't. I, I I'm pretty much done with mine. All what all I hope that we were able to you know pull out of this one was the uh the beauty of that feeling of mami lapina tapai and uh it's and 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 the happiness you're seeking in life is only going to come out of those kinds of little moments you know yeah absolutely it's it's when you touch god yeah. i really do think that that's that's when you put your hand and to god and those moments are ichigo ichie so you know cherish them yeah absolutely ichigo ichie i like that. yeah so with a with a like wild week coming wait, up wait say mm-hmm. say um oh yeah say the say the word again mama go mama mami la pina tapai mami la pina tapai mami mami yeah i'm not gonna remember that pina tapai the most succinct word in the guinness book of world records um love it i love that word I love that word so much. Yeah, I, I dig it. Um, um man. Well, yeah, that's um I think yeah, that's our that's our show for this week. I hope everybody appreciates their mommy lapina tipais. Um and thinks a lot about shirtless Joe Biden washing that Trans Am on inauguration Adam day. Joe. It's it's gonna be a good one. Um I think and it's gonna honestly, be a good one. Yeah. It's going to be anticlimactic in a way that hopefully will be welcome and not not disappointing. 
Right? Isn't that what we want is anti-climatism <laughs> at this point? Yeah, I think we do. I think we want... Um, I think we want people to be worried about the real problems rather than the um, like stupid ones, which mm. involves like a certain amount of um, killing like the like the trump narcissism and like the trump mm-hmm. way you know i don't i don't think that we want to like check out from from consciousness like political consciousness right. or politics like i don't think going back to brunch mm-hmm. is constructive but i do think that like when complacent you know, bourgeois liberal people go back to brunch, then there's an opportunity to actually get some work done. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, and be virulent about the things that working people need, you know? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I do. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, that stability is better than chaos. Right. But I'm also, tending to think that Ameri- the American empire should be torn apart mm. like mm-hmm. brick by brick. Right. So I'm not entirely sure that Joe Biden leads to that, but maybe the stability will allow us to, you know, coalesce around a stronger foundation to make that happen. Hey, you know, K Sarah. And with that, hey, thank Sarah. you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, this was the oh, Hegelian Friendship Simulator. Um, Gmail thank you for us, listening. Twitter us, TikTok us, TikTok us from your hype houses, from your Andrew Yang hype houses. <laughs> I I don't know if I would want to be a TikTok influencer TikTok. who's just like, yeah, Andrew Yang is my daddy, is my zaddy. <laughs> <laughs> But someone is. That's the worst part. All right. On that note, adios, folks. Adios. We